as we begin this morning, would you and just still your heart before the Lord and just come before him and, and, and man, ask him to, to reveal himself to you this morning. Um, pray that this will be a time that you can fellowship with him this morning and, and pray that it'll be a time where he reveals to you maybe some things that's in your life that, that you need to get right. And, and can we take a second as we begin the service to just have a minute and pray together? Would you do that? Lord, we, we want to hear from you this morning, and, and we certainly don't want to hear from me. I pray, God, that your word would have free course in the service. I ask of you that we would just come before you uh, with our, our hearts prepared for what you have, and that we would just, all distractions would be removed, and that you would help us to just set aside this time to be free from any of those things to where we just focus on you and focus on who you are and focus on what you did for us. I pray, God, that this would be a rich time of communion and fellowship with you. And we love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, t today, is a, it's, a, it's a special day. And it's a special day because it's a day that we set aside to observe the Lord's Supper as a church family. And in the Lord's Supper, or, or communion, as it's oftentimes called, it's, it's, a it's a time that, as a church, we've been called to periodically set aside to commune with or to fellowship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we remember the work that He did for us and the, His sacrifice for us on the cross. It, it, it's also a time where God has called us to, to look forward. It's a time that we're to look forward to what God is going to do in the future. And it's also a time that we've been called to look inward. It's a time where we take and we just take some time and we set aside some time to just take inventory of our lives. And, and we just take some time to maybe reevaluate some things and reflect on some things. Maybe even get a fresh start in some areas of our lives so that there's nothing hindering us this morning from communing and, and from fellowshipping with the Lord and having that type of fellowship that God desires to have with us this morning. Because it's important that, that as we approach this time, that, that we view it with the understanding of its importance and its significance, and we approach it with the attitude that reflects its importance and significance. And one of the reasons that we need to be sure to approach the Lord's Supper this way is because that's the exact way that God is approaching this time with us. You see, we need to understand that, that this supper that we're going to partake of this morning, is a, it's a supper that's very important and very significant to our Lord. And this morning, I, I want us to hear the degree to which it's significant to our Lord in Jesus' own words. In, in these words that, that I'm about to share with you in a, in a couple minutes are words that Jesus spoke to his original disciples in the upper room the night that he laid his the night before he laid his life down as a sacrifice for each and every one of us. And, and do you understand that it's at this moment in the upper room when, when he actually instituted the supper that we'll be partaking of this morning? That's when it was instituted. And, and to give you the setting... 
Jesus has told his disciples where to meet him so that they could celebrate the Passover meal together. You'll remember the, the Passover meal. It was the celebration of Israel's exodus out from under Egyptian captivity and Egyptian slavery. God used those ten plagues, right, to ultimately free the, the Israelites from that captivity. And the last of the plagues, it was the death of the firstborn. And, and, and the way it worked is, is that God would, would pass by and, and, and he would kill the firstborn unless the family put the blood of the lamb on the upper doorpost and on the, side, on the two side posts of the door, according to Exodus chapter 12 and verse 7. That's what it says. And so because of the blood of the lamb, God would pass over the house and the firstborn would be saved. And in celebration of God passing over their houses in the past and in their, in their nation's history and their escape from Egyptian slavery, this is why they're sitting there to eat this Passover meal. And it's this Passover meal that they're eating in the upper room, listen, that Jesus is about to reconfigure into his own supper. Because within 12 hours or so, he will become the fulfillment of the Passover lamb in the Old Testament, becoming the true Passover lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. So, so now that he's becoming the fulfillment of the Passover lamb in the Old Testament, he's reconfiguring the Passover meal into his own supper or into the Lord's Supper. And realize that as he gathers together with his disciples for this for this supper, that this is actually the culmination of three and a half years of our Lord spending time with them, teaching them, equipping them, discipling them, and more than anything, though, loving them. And I think it's important for us to note that as John reflected on what happened in that room that night, that was the thing that stood out to him the most. The love that Jesus had for them. The love that Jesus had for him. In John chapter 13 and verse 1, John writes, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And as we seek to, to spiritually enter into that room with our Lord this morning, I hope that the love that the Lord Jesus Christ has that was so apparent to John on that night will be apparent to all of us this morning. I want you to look with me at how Jesus actually expressed his love in those final hours just before what, what we just saw that John calls the end. In Luke 22 and verse 15, this is how it's expressed. It says that in the upper room that night, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Do you see that? The disciples aren't grasping this yet. But Jesus is basically saying, this is the last night before my death. And I can't think of anybody else that I'd rather spend this time with than you guys. 
And man, I've been looking forward to it with desire. I have desired it. And by saying Jesus is saying that, Jesus is expressing a great longing, a, a, a great passion, um, even, a, even a craving. But listen, that's how desirous and, and how passionate Jesus is about partaking of this supper with us this morning. Doesn't that blow your mind that, that he takes it, that he views it that way? But the question that I want to pose to you this morning as we seek to get to the heart of Jesus about what we're actually going to be doing is, is what is it that he actually desires? Why does he have such a passion about this? What's in his heart? What, what does he intend for this time to mean to us? What does he intend for it to accomplish? I, I mean, there's, there's no doubt that as we reflect on what happened in the last 12 to 18 hours of Jesus' life, Man, there's no doubt that there's a whole lot that went on that we can get emotional about and that we can get sentimental about. But what is this supper really about? Is that what this thing is all about, getting emotional? So, so again, I ask you, what does Jesus desire with desire? What, what does he intend for this time to be with him? And if we look into the key passage in the New Testament where our Lord spells this out for those of us who comprise his church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see that this passage reveals that there are actually three key desires that Jesus has in his heart as we approach this table this morning. And, and the first one is this. He desires that the time that we spend this morning, for this to be a time that causes us to look backward. That it, it's a time that causes us to look backwards. And, and listen, that's really the significance of the two symbols that comprise this supper, the bread in the cup. He intends for those things to, to bring us back, to bring us back to something that's tremendously significant to him and, and something that's tremendously significant, certainly, to our salvation and something he wants us to always have in our remembrance. So let's look at the passage. Paul says, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23, he says, For I have received of the Lord that which, I, which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. God wants to bring us back to a place of remembrance. But to really understand the, the full significance of these two symbols, I, I want to bring to your attention that this actually isn't the first time that Jesus has used this symbol or this metaphor of the bread in the cup. The, the first time the disciples actually heard him talk about this was it was in an argument that he was having with the Jews in John chapter 6. And in the midst of, of that discourse, Jesus was, was pressing them on those two things. The, he was pressing those religious leaders of that day on those two things that they just couldn't stomach that Jesus was God in human flesh, and that they were sinners in need of a Savior. 
And, and do you realize that those two things are two things that are essential for us in the New Testament to understand in order to be saved? You must believe that Jesus Christ is God, and you must believe that you are a sinner in need of a divine Savior. In, 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 in other words, you must believe that your only hope in dealing with the penalty of death and eternal separation from God for all eternity is for God to shed His holy blood for the remission of your sins. And in John chapter 6, again, Jesus is hammering those things. He's pressing those two things, and they don't like it. I want you to read it with me in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 45. We're going to read a handful of verses in a row, so I need you to concentrate with me and, and process it as we read. It says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. <clears throat> verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Amen to that. So, so do you understand what he's doing here and what he's, what he's actually saying? Clearly, we, there are those who have, have taken this passage a little too literally when clearly God is using this as a metaphor in a, in a symbol. But he's using a physical metaphor or, or physical symbol, his flesh and blood, to speak of spiritual realities. And he's actually saying this, unless you can take into yourself that I'm God in human flesh and that my blood is the only remedy for your sin, unless you can receive that, unless you can accept that, unless you can swallow that and you can stomach that, you're going to die in your sins. And rather than experience the eternal life that he desires to give to us, you'll experience eternal death. And listen now, in the upper room, he's using these exact same symbols. It's the exact same symbolism. And, it, it, and, and it's, it's the exact same metaphor. And God again teaches us this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four 24 that we just saw. 
this bread is representative of the fact that I am the true bread of God that has come down from heaven and that I am God in a human body or in, in human flesh. So from now on, he says, when you eat this supper, let this bread take you back and let it cause you to remember who I am. And as you hold that bread in your hand and, and you eat that bread and take it into you, allow it, as he says at the end of 1 Corinthians 10, 16, allow it to, to cause you to commune or cause you to, to fellowship with me in my life as it was lived in that body of flesh. And from now on, when you, when you drink this cup in this, this supper, let this fruit of the vine that, that Deuteronomy 32, 14, interestingly enough, calls the blood of the grape. Let, as you drink it, let it take you back and cause you to remember what I did. And as I, God in human flesh, shed my blood and I died your death so that your sins could be remitted. And as you hold that cup and you drink it and you take it into you, allow it as the first part of 1 Corinthians ten sixteen says, to cause you to commune with my very blood and cause you to commune and fellowship with me in my death. And listen, that's the first thing that our Lord Jesus Christ has on his heart and desires for us this morning as we take the bread in the cup. He desires to take us back to those two things that were essential in our salvation, our reception of the fact of who he was, God in a human body, and what he did. He shed his blood. And he desires for us to allow the bread in the cup to, be, to cause us to be brought back into remembrance or, or to cause his body and his blood to be, to be brought into our conscious mind so that we, we fellowship with him in his very life and in his very death. So first of all, he desires for us this morning to look backward. And then secondly, he also desires for this supper to cause us to look forward. The very next verse in 1 Corinthians 11, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, it says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death, listen to this now, till he come. And the main thing I want you to see here is that this supper, it's so significant to our Lord that he wants to make certain that we understand that our being brought back to who he is and what he did, it's to never go out of use. It's something he wants us to proclaim as a church through these symbols until he comes. So we'll never stop doing it and we'll never make apologies for continuing to talk about it. But not only is he letting us know to, to, to look forward in order to understand the duration in which he intends for this supper to have in the ongoing history of the church, he's also letting us know the anticipation that he intends for there to be in our hearts as we partake of it and we anticipate his coming as we look forward. You tracking with that? It, it, and, and this isn't just the theme of the New Testament that we're talking about here. This is the theme of the entire Bible. And the Lord wants us to live our lives, and the Lord wants us to partake of this supper this morning in anticipation of the day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to this earth. 
And the reason he wants that in our hearts is because he won't receive the glory that's due his name until that day. It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of like this. To, to us, the best thing in all the world was the fact that Christ came into this world and he died what should have been our death on the cross. But to the Father, the best thing in all the world is his son coming back to this earth the second time and setting up his kingdom and ruling and reigning and for the first time since man sinned in the garden, actually receiving the glory that's due his name. And as we eat this supper, God wants us to have in our hearts for the Lord Jesus Christ what he has in his heart for him. A passion for his glory, which is a passion for his coming. Because you see, he didn't get the glory he deserved at his first coming, clearly. When he came the first time, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was spit upon, he was lied about, he was brutally murdered. The only completely innocent person that ever walked the planet that was free from any sin, the one completely innocent, beaten and murdered and hung on a cross and his blood was shed like a criminal. But when he comes the second time, it's going to be completely different, y'all. When he comes the second time, blood again will be the common theme. Do you understand that? Listen. Blood again will be the common theme, except for this time, it won't be his. It will be the blood of his enemies. And so this supper is designed to cause us to, to look backward in remembrance to the cross that gave us access to salvation. And yet at the same time, it's designed to cause us to look forward to the glory of his coming. And then thirdly, this supper is designed to cause us to look inward. It's, it's designed to cause us to look inward. So we're to look backward, forward, and we're also to look inward. And it, we, we, we could say we're to, we're, to, we're to look at the past, we're to look to the future, and then we're to look at the present. And more specifically, look at our present state spiritually. This is something that God takes very seriously. He, he passionately desires to have a time with us of, of communing and a time with us of fellowship as we're reflecting and remembering who Jesus is and, and what he did for us. He, he wants us to be brought back to that sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. God, and God desires to have that time with us this morning. And it's something he's passionate about and it's something he takes very seriously and because he takes it so seriously, and he has designed this time to be so special, the bread and the cup of the Lord Jesus Christ in this supper that we're partaking of is nothing to take lightly. We should take it as serious as God does, like I mentioned at the beginning of this service. And it's extremely important that we do that this morning because of the warning that we receive in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper and and here's the warning. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily 
eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, for this reason, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Listen, listen, this isn't just some tradition, and, and this is clearly not anything that the Lord takes lightly. You, you see, in all aspects of life, the things that God designed to be the most beautiful things are the things that get the ugliest when you mess them up. Have you ever noticed that? It, 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 so when we, when we mess up what God designed to be such a rich time of fellowship and such a rich time of intimacy, the other side of that coin are the consequences that we just read. So if we eat of the bread and drink of the cup unworthily, then we eat and drink damnation to ourselves. Not, not damnation to hell, but we eat and drink judgment to ourselves to the point that we could get weak, sick, or die. And listen, man, I, I know that's, that's heavy, but that's how serious God takes this time that we're about to have with him. So, so, so what do we do so that we don't approach this supper unworthily? Well, thankfully, the answer is, is within the passage, like it usually is. Verse 28, we examine ourselves. Verse 31, we judge ourselves. So we examine ourselves and see if there's any sin, and we judge that thing. And we own that sin, we own up to it, and we disown it. We own it and disown it. And we do like 2 Corinthians 7.1 says. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see, the answer here isn't just not taking the bread and the cup. Not taking the bread and the cup does beat the alternative of taking it unworthily, for sure. But the answer, though, is, it's examining ourselves, then repenting and cleansing ourselves from the sin and turning from that thing. Let this be the day that all that is dealt with and that you're freed from that bondage, which is what sin really is. We just sang about the freedom in Christ. Those, those things you've been holding on to, man, let go of that stuff. You know all that trash that gives temporary pleasure but leaves you with long-term regret and guilt and consequences let today be the day that you that that you deal with that and listen i as i say that, that there's no doubt in my mind that there are different sins popping in different one of your minds there may be habitual sins that you've continued to struggle with maybe maybe some of us are are dealing with pride you you just can't ever stomach the idea of being wrong or owning up to being wrong others it's bitterness and struggling to forgive you just can't let go of something somebody did and you're just still brewing on that thing others of us it's lust if others knew what went on in your mind and went in your it, what you looked at you'd be ashamed others of us where you're you're not being the husband that you've been called to be some of us maybe aren't being the wives that we've been called to be. Others of us aren't being the parents to our kids that we've been called to be. 
So, so in the name of that, would you come before God this morning and would you own those sins and would you disown those things and would you get right before God? We, I'm, I'm going to give us some time this morning to go ahead and do that right now. Would you, would you bow your heads and begin to do that? Wendy, would you come up and play? And, and let's do as the scripture says here. Let's, let's take a couple minutes to reflect and examine ourselves. And let's just, man, let's just deal with whatever it is that God is revealing to us so that we can approach his table this morning worthily and so that we can commune with him and we can fellowship with our Savior. And let's enter this time of communion with, with, with all of the joy that it's supposed to be. Let's enter this time so that it can be all that God intended for it to be. Would you ne spend the next few minutes examining yourself?
deacons and leaders, would you come up, if you will, and begin to prepare the table and, and pass out the bread and the cup for us?
let's commune with the Lord as, as, as we remember who Jesus was. Jesus loved us so much that he humbled himself as a man, and he came to this planet as God in human flesh, and he lived a perfect, sinless life while he was here. And as Paul is teaching us about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, here's what he says, starting in verse 23. He says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, and, and I want us to stop right there, and I'd like to ask Ed if you would stand, please, and, and give thanks for the symbol of the bread. when he had given thanks he break it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you this do in remembrance of me now let's commune with the lord as we remember what jesus did jesus loved us so much that he gave his life for us on the cross. He, he died so that we might live. And back in 1 Corinthians 11, as Paul is teaching us about the Lord's Supper, here's what he continues saying, starting in verse 25. He says, After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. And I'd like to ask Jeff to stand and thank the Lord for the symbol of the cup this morning. After the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament on my blood. This do ye, as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me.
And in, and in Matthew 26, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in the upper room, Matthew 26 and verse 30, it teaches us that they actually ended the supper by, by singing a hymn together. And it, it says when, when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And, and this church has traditionally done just that. But we, we've typically done it a, a little bit different than we do to end a regular service. And so what we've done in the past and what I'd like for us to do this morning is to, is to all stand and get in a circle around the sanctuary and hold hands and, and, and Jeff's going to lead us in a song. Pastor Jerry, will you dismiss us in prayer?